Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, uh, I was I was already ready to, to like time to go home, man. Scott, that prayer time to me spoke to my heart. I don't know about you, but it spoke to my heart. I was like just meditating on what he was saying, the fact that God's given us his gift of grace. Man, I hope you got that. I mean, don't forget my message today. Let's just let's just meditate on that. You know what I mean? That's deep. That was deep. Thanks, Scott, for ministering to us for prayer. Guys, we're gonna be in uh, Matthew the chapter 20 this morning. We're going to be journeying through Matthew chapter 20, just so if you have your Bibles, your iPads, your phones, whatever you guys use in the morning. Hey, I want to encourage you to join Dan and his financial study, guys. Finances is a part of our worship as believers. So what you do with your money is important. You know, it's how you can invest, how you can learn, how you can budget, how you can plan for the future. All those things are things that we as people, Julie and I have sat down and we did financial plannings in our lives and how do we plan for what's ahead and those types of things. Those are great skills to learn for your life, single or married, whatever it is. So I want to encourage you to hang out with Dan starting the 21st so you can learn these tools and be equipped with what God's given you and how we can prosper that and make that, uh, be able to allow you to grow in those areas. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 20, looking at verses 20 to 28 this morning as we're continuing our, our sermon series on reminders. I'm reminding you of our mission as a church. I'm hoping that you get who we are as a church, and I've challenged you, if you're visiting us for the first time, thank you for coming, and I want to encourage you that you would give us a couple weeks to hear who we are and to learn who we are and what our mission and purpose is as we're moving into the new year. Because I really feel like God wants to do some rebuilding here at New Vision. We've been through some challenging times. We've been through some difficult times. We're still going through it. But it doesn't mean that we can't build. You know, we, we got to move forward, not step back. And so God's challenged to that. So mission and purpose is really, really important. So this morning, we're going to be looking at empowering services, one of our E4 purposes, as we looked at expressing love to God and to others. We looked at equipping believers today. We're looking at power and service. And next week, we're going to be looking at evangelizing near and far as part of our mission, hoping that transformation would take place, not only in our own lives, the lives of our friends and our communities, but the kingdom would be seen through those very things. So we're going to be looking at that this morning. I think before there was the funniest home videos or, or there was punked, there was ca Candid Camera. For those older, remember Candid Camera, right? That, that, that show was the pioneer of reality TV shows. In fact, on one particular episode, children were used as an experiment about generosity. They were put in a room with a plate of cookies, and, and, they, were, and, and, and they were instructed that they could eat and have a cookie. Of course, they looked at the big one, right? And one boy... Um, you know, and so when they came to the roof, they took the big one and they ate the big one. And so after the host of the show came in, he challenged one of the boys why he took the biggest cookies. That was Alan Funk, if you remember his name. He said, he said to the boy, you left me to eat the small cookies. I would have eaten the little cookies and given you the big one. Without a blink, the boy responded, then you got what you wanted. There are little things in life that can reveal our true nature, right? 
We can be self-centered people. We can eat the cookies. How many of you would have eaten the bigger cookies and didn't think about the interest of others? Yeah, yeah, right? Service is, is God's way of remembering, helping us to remember what is important. In Jesus' economy, servanthood is the most valuable commodity in God's kingdom. It's the most thing that Jesus values the most. And so I'm hoping as we are grappling with our mission statement, and I know I love New Vision because you guys love to serve. You love to give of yourself. You love to pour yourself others. When we have outreaches, we have ministries, you guys jump in and you, you serve. And that's what I love about our church is that, guys, you're so generous in your serving. And so I just want us to remind us of some of that aspect of what that looks like. And so this morning, my, my, my message is not much so much focused on what you're serving, but the heart of service. Looking at servanthood as a general, because we're going to look at the disciples who Jesus really had to begin to address their own heart as it relates to servanthood. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. Here's our mission statement. You've seen it on the video. We're going to play it back. It says, new vision exists to transform people and their communities by replicating the followers of the biblical Jesus through expressing love, equipping believers, empowering service, and evangelism near far. That, that's really our immersion. That's really what we do and why we do what we do is we really want to see God's kingdom expanded. And we have a role and a place in that as God's people. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 20, we're going to look, look at the starting of verses 20 and 20. I want to read it this morning. And then we're going to kind of break it down and see what God has for us this morning. It says, And the mother Zebedee's son came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one at your right and the other at the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said, we are able. So he said, you indeed will drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but is for those to whom it is prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with these two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be Come great among you, let him be a servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Lord, there's a lot in that passage, a lot to think about, a lot to ponder, a lot to process, a lot to chew on. And so I pray this morning as we, as your people, sit at the feet of you and your word, this morning, Lord, may we just partake of the, the fresh and good manna we're about to receive, Lord. Lord, may we just partake of this sweet bread that you've given us this morning. And so I pray for your people, Lord. Father, this is morning, and oftentimes we'll, we'd get a coffee and a pastry, but this morning, Father, your word is our pastry. <laughs> your word is what's going to be given to our soul to, to encourage us and to equip us and to teach us and to instruct us. And so I pray this morning, Lord, we just sit and break bread together spiritually. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen, amen. amen. We're gonna look at three things about servanthood and, and, and being a part of serving community. Number one, servanthood is not self-promotion. Servanthood is not self-promotion, okay? Think about this for a moment. I, Julie and I would go and 
sometimes go up to the camps or go up in the wilderness and we see squirrels. When you see a, a squirrel and you see a, a sea of rats, what do you think about the rat and the squirrel? Like, all right, you're getting, ooh, like, ooh, you know what I mean? You see a rat, ladies, you jump on the chair, whatever. When you think about a rat, you think that it's ugly, it's nasty, it's, it's dirty, it's a scavenger, right? Right, that's what we think of rats. They, they, they're, they're a nuisance in our house, they get in everything, right? But when you think of a squirrel, what do you think of a squirrel? Oh, it's cute, it's fun. It's a nice, you, you want to pet it, right? You, like, it's got the little tail. It's a beautiful thing. But I want to tell you something. The rat and the squirrel are of the same community. They're, they're rodents. They're rodents. They're, they're from the same family. They're rodents. And sometimes as God's people, we see ourselves more as squirrels than we do as rats. Right? We think ourselves more highly than we ought to of ourselves. Right? You know, I'm a pretty good person. Huh? Uh, we, we think about, let me tell you something. We all fall short of the glory and the standard of God. Okay? That, that's what, what happens here. Right? Here we see the mother of James and John coming to Jesus and asking of a promotion about the kingdom because I think they see themselves more like squirrels than they see themselves as rats. And really in the picture, they're really rats. And Jesus is going to bring it out in the story. He's going to bring it out like, guys, you're just a bunch of scoundrels, man. Now, I'm going to address some things, and there are going to be some rebukes in the story as we get into that, right? But we know in the story as we get into it, and we look at these few, few, few verses here in 20 and 21, a mother seeks a position of promise for her son. We see that in verse 20. Look what it says here. Then a mother, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. Who's the mother of Zebedee? Who, who is the Zebedee family? We see them throughout scriptures. We see it here, right? Who, who's, who's Miss Zebedee? She is the, the mother of James and John. In fact, we know James and John and Peter were the inner circle of Jesus, kind of Jesus' favorites in some sense, right? He showed Peter, James, and John things he did show the other disciples. They call that the, the inner circle. Jesus had an inner circle. There was 12, but he had the three. And he would show things to them that he didn't show to the others and so James and John's mother is coming to Jesus. We know that uh, her name is Salome. We read that in Matthew, the latter part of Matthew. And she was a part of a community of women in the ministry that would help service Jesus in the ministry. We know this family had a, a very important role. They were a fishing family. They were a very wealthy family because when you look at their story, we're going to look at a little bit next week when we get into Luke chapter 5. A little bit, you're going to see the Zebedee family appear again, with, but you're going to see dad. You're not going to see mom in the story a little bit. And we know that they're wealthy because they had servants and they had this fishing business and, and they were able to support the work of the ministry of Jesus. But I, I want you to see something here. She came to Jesus kind of representing the family, in some, which is very odd and very bold as a woman. right? You would think the father would come on behalf of the sons, but the woman, mom, look it. Mothers love their children. Right? And maybe what's going on here, right? Uh, Miss Zebedee, Salome, she wanted the best for her sons, right? That's what she was. She's kind of in some ways using her influence to bring a promotion. She's, you know, she's going to come and speak on behalf of the sons here. But I want you to get the picture here because the story is also told in Mark chapter 10. 
And we get a little bit more of the story in Mark's gospel about what's really going on. Because in Mark's gospel, it alludes to the fact that it wasn't mom that came to Jesus, but it actually was James and John that came to Jesus. And maybe using mom to say, hey, mom, can you speak on our behalf? Can you go to Jesus on our behalf? They were kind of saying, hey, can you do this a favor? Because we look at Mark chapter 10, verse 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Ow. I'm like, like come on, you're, you're, you're going to tell Jesus I want you to do this for me? You know what I mean? That's, that's pretty bold. You know what I mean? So I don't know if they wanted to soften the blow and something that maybe this, it was them really instigating this conversation um, about going to Jesus. But both James and John were seeking positions in the kingdom, and their mother was asking on their behalf. Uh, I, maybe there's a little bit of nepotism going on in the family there, right? She's connected to Mary. They're probably related as cousins. They have, she's giving out help in the ministry. Hey, you know, could you just... Do this little favor for that. That was a big favor. You know what I mean? That was a big thing using an influence for promotion, right? But here we see her come and she begins to petition for this promotion. We see that in verse 21, right? And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one at your right hand and the other in the left in your kingdom. In your kingdom. She's jockeying for spiritual position with Jesus. You know, when your kids come to you and they ask you a question, like maybe your kids are in high school and they, and they say, hey, dad, mom, is it okay if I go out during the weekday and during a school day, school week, is it okay I go out at night? There's an interesting, that's an interesting question because there's always something behind a question like that. What's, what's prompting that question? Why are you asking that question, right? So you might say, why do you ask? Well... My, my friends, like, they all want to go to the movies, and, and I want to go. See, they didn't bring that up first, right? They, they were just asking and kind of plowing away, would this even be an option? Would this even be something that might be possible? Well, let me give you a little context to what's happening so you can understand why the disciples and the mother came asking this question. Because you have to get context to the text in order to understand what's happening, right? In the previous chapter, in Matthew chapter 19... Jesus had made the disciples a promise. And this was the promise of Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who follow me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's already saying, Hey, in the kingdom, you're going you're gonna to have a chair. You're going to have a place at the table. You're going to have a seat. There's something special. So Jesus had already made him a promise. And then you don't have to go to the previous verses in Matthew chapter 20. We're starting at 20, but go all the way back to like 17 to 19. What was Jesus saying in those previous verses? He was talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. He was talking about how he was a die, he was a buried, he was a resurrect, and he's going to be in the kingdom. So in their mind, they're already thinking, here, there's an underlying reason why they're asking. Jesus is talking about dying. Jesus is talking about all these things. And they're hearing about his death. They're hearing about his kingdom. And right away, they're like, dude, let's make most of the opportunity. Let's, let's start asking for a seat at the table. Let's try, let's try making a ways, right? And so Mary comes kneeling, right? Says she's kneeling in the presence of Jesus. And is going to make this request. 
We know kneeling is a, is a respect, 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 respectful expression. It's a way she's honoring Jesus in some sense. But kneeling is also an act of worship. Some of us, when we make a request to God in our prayer, we might have times of kneeling in our prayer time. Even as we worship, we might be in the sanctuary and we worship, we get on our knees and we worship. It's, a, it's an act of surrender, it's an act of expression of love, it's a, it's a respect. So, so here you have Ms. Zabby, so I'm coming to Jesus on her knees, going to make this request to, to Jesus. But, you know, sometimes we could see God in a wrong light. Sometimes we could see God like a genie. Right, and, and we come and we bend a knee and, and we're going to ask him, if, this is what I want you to give me. Isn't that the same request of the disciples? This is what I want, God. And we come to God and we ask of him these things. We, we might even have a list, a prayer list or whatever, these things that are going on there. And then when God doesn't answer them, we get mad. We get mad at God. We even throw tantrums. We get upset with him. God, you didn't ask. You didn't give me what I asked you. And because you didn't give me what I asked, I'm not even going to trust you and believe you anymore. Because that's how some people see God. That God might, you know, just don't pray and rub the lamp, three prayers, and all of a sudden Jesus comes out like, you know, you know as the genie, you know. What do you want? You know what I mean? That's, that's not how it works. That's not how prayer works. And, and, and they're making a request here, right? She's coming to make an ambitious request. But sometimes our requests can be asked with the wrong motive, right? Didn't, didn't the apostle James in the book of James say, you pray and ask me, but you don't get because you ask amiss? You ask with wrong motives? So we can go before the Lord and ask with wrong motives. We can make a request to God and ask with wrong motives. But the crazy thing is God knows our heart, right? He knows the motive by which we're asking. He knows all those things. And so we, we see that here. But what's going on is they're positioning, I say they, the group, Peter, James, and Mom, were positioning themselves for the seat in the kingdom, right? They're seeking to, to sit with Christ, one at the right and one at the left. They wanted the privilege and the power without service and commitment is what they're going to go about here. They wanted power and prestige. The, the right hand was the position of power, and, and, and authority and honor. That was the position of the right hand. The left hand was the position of friendship. Can I sit at your right and your left hand in your kingdom? Can I sit on the same throne that you're on, Jesus? Right next to you. In your kingdom. I, I think there might be a little bit of pride in their requests. Right? Right? Okay. You're going to see this in a moment because Jesus is going to challenge them in their requests. See, they didn't want to serve. They wanted to be served. They were pushing for a position in, in God's kingdom. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 14. It's a story about an invitation. And if you know the story, it talks about a wedding. And, and when you get invited to a wedding, don't take the, the best seat in the house. Lest another guest comes... And the host asks you to move, and they give the seat to that person. But, but in the parable, it says, right, to take the least of the seats. Take the, take the seat away from the honored seat. 
So if the host can invite you to the honor seat and you've been invited to come and sit at the best seat in the house. What, what, what was the reasoning, the parable? I talked about a parable last week because it's a story with a spiritual meaning. And the meaning came in behind that is that for the exalted will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. See, he's, he's getting to the heart here is what the story is getting. He's going to get to the heart of what servanthood is really about. Serving really hood is not about self-promotion. It's about humility. It's about, it's about serving the least, looking out for the interest of others. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet gives warning to seeking ambition. He says, and you do not seek great things for yourself. Do not seek great things for yourself. Do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord. He gives warning to the self-promotion. He gives warning to that. He's beginning to going to have this conversation with them because I said, I want to get your heart from him. God is always trying to get our hearts. He's always trying to transform us from within. He's changing this. That's the work that he does. That's the greatest work is the transformation of the heart. And that's what he's saying here. That's the whole thing is about humility. So servanthood is not self-promotion. But I want you to understand what servanthood is. Here's a second. Servanthood is costly. Servanthood is costly. We're going to see that in verses 22 and 23. I'm so thankful for those that have been in the military who served our country to give us the freedoms that we have today. You might be very familiar with the story of the former NFL person who gave up his right, Pat Tillman, who gave up his time of playing in the NFL to join the U.S. Army. You might know that story. It was right after 9-11. He left his career in order to serve in the military because he had this strong conviction to fight terrorism, and he left. But if you know the story, his regiment was attacked in Afghanistan, ambushed in Afghanistan, and he lost his life in the war. He was willing to give up the glory and the fame and the money to, to honor others and to protect others. That he sacrificed himself for that very reason. We, by faith, have also enlisted in God's army. And we have been empowered to serve others. And there's a sacrifice to our service. It may not be death, but we might need to put to death some personal things in order to help others. We might need to put some things down. We might, to, might need to give some things up. We might need to sacrifice some things for the sake of others. Because serving and servanthood is costly. It's not for free. We got to give our time, give our resources, give our abilities, give our talents, give the giftedness that God has given us for the furtherance of the kingdom. But what Jesus is doing here with James and John and even the mother as he's listening on, He's going to challenge them on their request. Have you considered the cost of your request? This is the question that's coming. Look at verses 22. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you, are you, and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? They said to him, man, we are able. There's the pride again, right? You're talking to your kids, you know what I mean? You're telling something. You feel like you're just going, like, oh, yeah, yeah. We could do that. You know what I mean? You haven't thought about the cost. Do you know, Jesus said, do you know what you're asking? 
right? Have you considered the cost of your quest? And when he said this, when he said this here, I don't think he was looking at their brother. I think he was looking directly at James and John. Because they had been taken over by ambition and and, and in a moment here, Jesus is going to give them a reproof. He's going to rebuke them. He's going to correct them on what this servanthood is all about. Are you serious about this request you're asking? Have you thought this through? It's like, you know, when your kids get mad at you when they're younger, junior high, high school. Man, I can't wait till I'm 18 because I'm going to leave the house and I have to listen to nobody. Right? You heard that? Come on, parents. Have you heard that? You're like, here's the keys to you. Right? right? They make those statements, but they have no idea of what independence is and the cost and the responsibility of being an adult. Because they haven't even considered the cost. They just want the freedom, but they don't know what that means. When you be, guys, come on now. I was out of my house at 18, man. It was hard. Right? You gotta, you gotta pay bills. You gotta find rags. You gotta eat the simple things of life. And when kids make statements like they're not even thinking about that, they just want their freedom. They're, they're making and requesting things. They have no idea what the cost is and how to, how to get there, right? They were looking for the glory of their service. The only one that promotes us in service is Jesus. He promotes us into the ministry. He promotes us into service. That's why Paul, the apostle, thank you for allowing me to be in the ministry. He's worshiping Jesus in the book of Galatians that you put me in the ministry. God put Paul the Apostle in the ministries. God calls people in the ministries, but he calls his church to be servants and ministers to the ministry of reconciliation, right? You're the priesthood of all believers. You heard, you might never heard that term before, but every one of you in the church has been called to ministry. Whether you realize it or not, whether you're ministry in your home, ministry to your kids, ministry to your neighborhood, your neighbors, your schools, your work, you're called to the ministry. There's a cost to that. James and John were looking to the crown instead of bearing the cross for the crown. I want you to see that. They were looking for the crown or to the crown instead of bearing the cross for the crown. Yeah, there is rewards in heaven. But we get through it. We get those rewards through suffering and serving and giving ourselves away. That's where the rewards come. And so Jesus challenges them with two questions, with two things. Able to participate in the same cup I'm going to participate in the same baptism I'm going to participate. The cup he's referring to is the, the cup of death and the baptism referred to as the baptism of suffering Jesus was going to be poured out on the cross he was going to be you know struggle he the, Isaiah called him the suffering prophet the suffering servant as he predicted about Jesus Jesus had some hard times right we know that so the thing about him asking these questions is that Christ can see the pride in them before they can see the pride in them. And Christ can see the pride in us before we can see the pride in us. And so he's breaking him, breaking them down. I, I think that maybe Jesus remembers James and John as they're doing ministry. And he's trying to teach him throughout the three years about servanthood. 
about the kingdom, about grace we talked about, about a new covenant. He's teaching them, and there were many times where he had to turn around and they're having conversations about who's the greatest in the kingdom, and he turns to them and says, what are you guys talking about? And they all shut up. <laughs> like, this is the latter part now. He's getting ready to go to the cross, and, and they still haven't gotten it yet, right? And I can only remember the story of James and John when Jesus comes to Samaria, and they didn't want to receive Jesus into Samaria, <laughs> Right? And so James and John, they, they were known as the sons of thunder. They had temper. And right away, they said, Jesus, man, you just want to, just, we'll just be like Elijah. We'll just call fire from heaven and burn up all the people in Samaria. Now, that's a true fire and brimstone preacher. Yeah. <laughs> right? They, like, let's just, let's just make them all crispy critters. <laughs> and, and Jesus says, guys, stop. Stop. That's not our mission. That's not our purpose. Right? They missed the mission. They missed their purpose. I can only imagine. They're, they were still learning, like, you're, you're here to serve and love your enemies, not burn them up and crucify them and cut them down and chop them up and do that. Guys, we as the church, we have to respond the same way. God, just take them out, man. They deserve it. No, we all deserve it. And God didn't take us out, right? In fact, when that happened, he turned to them and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Right? But even in this conversation, they were so quick to say, yeah, we are. We're willing. We're able. We can do. Yeah. We're willing to take on your cup. We're willing to do all that. They hadn't considered the cost of it, what they were asking. You know, Peter had his own self-confidence, right, in the garden. Jesus talking about him going. Yeah, no, man, Jesus, I got your back, Jesus. Even if they all abandon you, I'm with you. Yeah, right, Peter. Time to crow happens three times, you're going to deny me three times. Right, he's the one that brought up the sword when Malchus came and chopped off the ear. Right, he's the one, the confidence of the flesh. Guys, we could be confident in the flesh of our own doing. Scott talked a little bit about that for our prayer time. Confidence in our own abilities. Confidence in our own things. Oh, man. God, let's walk by your spirit and not our flesh. God, work in our spirits. Right? In fact, the most confident in the flesh are not acquainted with the cross. The most confident of flesh are not acquainted with the cross. Come on, come on. And so there's a cost to serving. There's a cost we have to look at. There's struggle. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. You're not appreciated. You're not thanked. Not anything. You bless people and they don't even say thank you sometimes, right? I mean, come on. If you, if you worked in the restaurant community and, and you're a servant, right? And you take waiting on table, do people say thank you? Do they give you a track instead of a tip? Come on, people, give them a tip. Okay, bear good witness and stuff. Bless them above what they're, you know, what they are. Show your generosity through your ministry of giving and having conversation. And it's, but it's, it's going to be costly. It's going to be hard. People are going to be rude. They're not going to be grateful. They're not going to be generous. Remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers? He blessed them. They were sick. Leprosy healed the ten lepers, and 
Only one came back and said, back and said thank you. He said, weren't there, other, weren't there nine others? You got the blessings of the kingdom, but they didn't commit to the kingdom. You know, I mean, there's some people that want the, the blessings of the kingdom, but they don't commit to kingdom work. Okay, so we just got to be mindful of, guys, we're called to be having this servant's heart. But there is a cost to your request. He said, verse 23, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it's for those whom he, it is prepared by the Father. Jesus now is saying, yeah. Jesus is saying, I'm confirming your death and your suffering. You're saying, oh yeah, you're able, but I don't think you understand what you're saying, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to go through it. Right? And we know that G James would be the first martyr of the faith. We read that in, in, in Acts 12 too. That was the cup of death. You'd be the first martyr in the book of Acts. John would be boiled in oil and then cast to an island of Patmos for suffering. That's where he got the book of Revelation. He was pastoring Ephesus and he was sharing, but he suffered. He was the only disciple that didn't die a martyr's death, but he, he lived old. He was the one that at the cross that Jesus turned over his mother for John to care for. We see, we see here, yeah, so when are you going to die? You're going to suffer. And, and this suffering is not going to be quick. It's going to be slow. We know that Paul the apostle suffered physical ailments and he prayed, God, remove this suffering in my life. But no, as Scott read today, in my weakness, you'll be made strong. In your suffering, you'll be stronger. But both of you, James and John, both of you will be immersed in death and suffering. This baptism, the same baptism I'm going through, you're going to go through. If Jesus went through death and suffering and difficult, what makes you think we're exempt from that? We're not exempt from that. Philippians 1.29, Paul, the uh, apostle writing to the Philippian church, the church of Philippi, writes about joy in the midst of trials. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. He mentions these, these cups, the cup of suffering. We know in scriptures there are, are five cups mentioned here, the cup of suffering here in Matthew 20 and Mark 10. We, we see the, the cup of corruption in Matthew 23, 25, and 26. Talk about the religious leaders. You're, 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 you know, you talk about their cup. You're, you're, you look clean on the outside, but your cup is dirty on the inside. The cup of corruption. We see the, the cup of the new covenant in Luke 22, 20. Right? We have this new command. We give you this new covenant we give you, a new way of living. We've seen the, the cup of blessings in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, which we, talks a little bit about the communion, the, the cup of blessings we're going to give you today. And then the, the cup of judgment, Revelation 14, talking about the wrath of God. So there's several cups here in the scriptures. But here was the cup of suffering. But I love Jesus. You even see Jesus' servanthood, his heart. You request of me the right and the left, but it's not mine to give. It's the Father who gives that. He's submitting already to his Father, the, the submission to his Father. It's not me that, that, that determines the seating chart. 
The dinner table seating. It's not, I, I don't do that. My father does that. And he'll reward those accordingly. He'll sit them accordingly. It reminds me of Jesus' another parable. In Luke 19, 11 to 27, it's the parable of the minas or the parable of the pounds. That parable is God gives his servants some money and he wants them to invest in it. He gave one, you know, five, 10 pounds or five pounds. You go invest, give another three, and then we give one one. And two of those servants went and they multiplied it. They made money for the servants. But the third one, what did he do? He buried it. He buried that money because he was fearful that he might lose it. And so when the, when, the, when the owner comes back, when the servant gave that money, the one who owned that money comes back to say, and asks, what did you do with what I'd given you? Like, oh, I took your five and made 10. I took your three and made, I doubled it. Like, oh, good and faithful. But very interesting, he says this. Because you multiplied it, now you're going to be positioned to heaven to rule over 10 cities. Now you're going to be positioned to rule over five cities. Did you catch that in the parable? You're going to have positions of heaven of governance and authority over cities in heaven. But the one who didn't do anything, he cast away. I find it very interesting that there, heaven is not us sitting in the clouds playing a harp. That's not heaven. That's cartoons. Okay? Heaven is a place that's real. It's a city. It's a garden city. It's a beautiful city where we get to see the beautiful plants and we get to see the fruit of the trees that change every month if you read Revelation, right? One week this tree might be an apple tree, but next month it might be an orange tree. Next week it might be an avocado tree. Read the story. It says that in the book of Revelation. And it's cities all over. And we have positions of rulership based on what we do here on this side of heaven. There's rewards that come, right? And so servanthood is a self-promotion, Servanthood is costly. Here's the last thing. Servanthood is what makes us great. In Matthew 24 to 28. Because we've all been called to servanthood. We have a person. We've been sanctified, set apart for that. Because I can only imagine in your homes, you've got to have some appliances, right? Right? You have a toaster, but the toaster doesn't eat the bread. Right? The oven doesn't eat the food that it cooks. Right? The microwave doesn't partake of the food that goes in the microwave. They're only tools. They're only appliances to help and benefit those that are using it. It's for the benefit of others. Those things are for the benefit of others. Right? We are called to a divine purpose and the purpose to serve others for their benefit. For their benefit. But what happens when we don't have the right heart or the servant's heart? We're going to see a disunity take place. Look at verse 24. There was indignation among the brethren, it says. Talks about, and when, look at verse 24. When, they, when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers, the scripture says. They were mad. The, other, the ten disciples were mad at the two disciples about what they had just done. When, when the disciples found out their plan, and their power play of James and John, they became very angry. Now, I don't know if this is righteous anger or if this is anger because they didn't get a time to beat them to the task of asking Jesus for the chairs. I, I, I don't know which one it is. God knows what it is, but they were upset, right? Guys, maybe that's a check for us, right? 
Next time we get angry with someone is because did they violate God's way or God's law? Or is it because we didn't benefit from it first? God, check our hearts, oh God. It says that they were greatly displeased with James and John. It means it, 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 they were very displeased. They, they were angry. I think when servanthood is done wrong, it disrupts the unity among the believers. It disrupts it. But here, as we look at the remainder of the verses here, we see God's grace. Scott, we see God's graciousness. He didn't display any anger. In the story, we don't see Jesus displaying anger. In fact, he took time to teach them. Guys, parents, I want you to catch this. He took the 12, they're all his students, his pupils, his kids, spiritually speaking, and he didn't bring out the belt. He used it for conversation to teach. Sometimes when our parenting guys, if our kids mess up, our, our, our response isn't to go to the belt first. Our response is to teach them what they did wrong, to correct them, to instruct them in righteousness, to teach them through the words. And that's exactly the response that Jesus is. Jesus teaches about what servanthood is. Look at 25 to 27. He, he brings them together and he says this, and Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles loader over them and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. He's teaching. He brought those knuckleheads together. And I can imagine they're probably sitting in the room, James and John sitting over here and the 10 sitting over here because they're mad at James and John. And they're like, Shh. right? They're upset. They're mad. And Jesus said, come here. Come here. You know, the Gentiles, the Gentiles are referenced to those that weren't followers of Jesus. Let me tell you a story about these Gentiles. Because he wants to teach her about greatness here in a minute. Right? They like to lord over the people. Right? The word lord over means to rule without consideration. To boss around without respect or dignity. Using people as vehicles for their own success. They like to take their power, their position, and lord it over people. They were tyrants. They were cruel and oppressive. They were authoritarian and had like a dictator spirit, right? And they used their authority and power over people. And then Jesus says this. That, that's, that's, that's how the world wants to rule. This, this is how the world serves. But not you, my people. Not, not the church. Not those who follow Jesus. That should be a part of your, your understanding of servanthood. This is not what you're marked by. Your, your attitude should be different. Your testimony should be better. Greatness comes by servanthood. I always say you can't all be famous, but you can all be great because greatest is the kingdom of God as a servant. Right? To be first in God's kingdom, you need to be last. For the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Do you see the economy playing out? Do you see the value system that Jesus is speaking about here? He's changing it. He's changing it. Yeah, we're truly going to be Jesus' Hebrew slaves. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
We're going to be his bondservants. Right? You know, the number one fast food restaurant in America is Chick-fil-A. Let me tell you why. They train their employees in four steps of model of serving their customer. Step number one, first, make eye contact with the customer. Acknowledge them. Second, smile at the customer with the hope that they smile back. Third, ask how their day is going. And lastly, they have been given the authority to give out free food to make the visiting customer's day better. If a customer says, man, it's been a hard day, the employee can say, this lunch is on us. I hope you have a better day. If a restaurant can train their employees in great customer service, how great should it be in the church? Guys, it all starts with our understanding of who we work for and how we've been blessed by the best. Okay? We serve others for edification, for the building up the body. That's who we serve, right? It's a, it's a dog-eat-dog world, Right? You get success in it by stepping on others, but in God's world, you get success by serving others in love. That's how you become great. That's how God makes you great because servants are the greatest in the kingdom. 2 Corinthians one twenty four says this, not that we have dominion over your faith, but you are fellow workers for your joy. For your joy. And I love this. Notice Jesus didn't condemn their greatness. He didn't condemn greatness. He didn't condemn excellence. In fact, Jesus is encouraging greatness through service. I'm not saying you can't have aspirations for greatness. We should have excellence in our church. You know, I always thought about, well, the Raiders, they changed their names a whole bunch of cities a whole bunch of times, right? Right now they were the LA Raiders and they were Oakland Raiders and then now they're Las Vegas Raiders. And then their, what was their logo? Do you guys know what their logo was? No, it says their logo was a commitment to excellence. I don't know if you remember that on their signs. And they were the worst team with the most penalties. Right? God, there needs to be a commitment to excellence in the kingdom. A commitment to excellence, right? He's not, they're not, he's not condemning that they wanted something special. He was condemning the, the process and the way they were going after it. The self-promoting and, and all these things. God is not looking for celebrities. He's looking for servants. Come on, come on. He's not looking for celebrity pastors. He's looking for servant pastors and leaders. That's what he's looking for in the kingdom. And then Jesus wraps it all up with saying, let's, let's get to the heart of the matter. As Jesus is always modeling servanthood. And, and we see the 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but served to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus gives us the pattern of service. And we know that the service again is costly. Christ did not demand servanthood. He demonstrated it. He did not demand it. He demonstrated it here. Kings are usually waited upon. This king didn't come to be waited upon, but to serve. And so that's why God the Father gave him a name above Every other name. 
because Jesus' fame came through his service. He came with a purpose of serving. He was intentional about his purpose. I know many in the ministry and pastors, and I could see it sometimes. We are in the ministry for what we can get and not what we can give. Yet we're called to be servants. And the ultimate act of service is to give yourself up, give your life up, and that's what Jesus said. The humility, the humility of Jesus, the humility of our Savior to model sacrificial service. He gave himself up what is a ransom for us. He paid the debt for us that we could not pay back because the wages of sin was debt, and he took death upon himself that we might have life. Amen. And so the purpose of his service was to redeem us and free us. And ransom was the purchase price to free slaves. That's what the word ransom means. Was the, is what they used the purchase price to receive slaves, to free slaves. Because we were slaves of this world and we were slaves of sin. Find it very interesting. He washed the disciples' feet and commanded them to do likewise, and yet they never returned the favor to wash Jesus' feet. That Jesus always led from the bottom up, not the top down. So servanthood is what it means to make us great in Jesus' known. And I close with these two with this verse, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See your good works, see your servanthood, your loving servanthood, that God would be honored. Servanthood is not for our glory, but for God's glory. So I remind you with this, as we partake of communion, the worship team starts coming. Servanthood is not about self-promotion. It's not about what we get. It's not what I can get. Servanthood is costly. There's a sacrifice to it. And servanthood is what makes us great and what makes God known. Amen. Father Heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings. And Lord, we thank you for your word. For in your word is life and in your word is truth. And Father, I pray that as we sat at the table today, breaking some panduce, breaking some sweet bread. I pray that you were glorified and I pray your people were encouraged. Bless them now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.